Hi, everyone. This is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to the Wealth Standard Radio. This is episode 191. And today, our guest is none other than the father of the 401k. That's what he calls himself. His name is Ted Benna. He actually wrote the very first 401k plan uh, back in the early 80s. And so it was a really, really cool interview that's coming up in just a second. But before I get to that, just wanted to give a shout out to Craig from Oregon, who sent us a, uh, a really, really cool flattering email uh, about the previous podcast that we did, part of which included an interview with my 10-year-old daughter on her uh, takeaways from the Investor Summit at Sea, which is put on by the Real Estate Guys. Uh, we had a great time. It was a really cool podcast too, so definitely go and check that out. So Craig, we are going to uh, be responding to you and going to send out a t-shirt. So uh, we'll get your size and so forth uh, through email. But also for those that uh, would want one of these really cool uh, Paradigm Life t-shirts, uh, just go ahead and leave us a uh, good review on iTunes and then just take a snapshot of it, email it to us at info at paradigmlife.net and we will also send a t-shirt your way. Now getting to this interview, so Ted Benna, I've known about Ted for a long time and it was actually somewhat difficult to track him down because he doesn't do a lot of interviews. But Ted has been in, uh, well, not anymore, he's retired, but he was in financial services uh, during the 70s and 80s. And it is really, it was fascinating to hear from his own words really what happened with the transition from the uh, the, the pension program, which was the, the primary retirement vehicle back in those days, to the 401k and everything that went down. Uh, he calls the 401k a monster just because of how Wall Street has really exploited some of the the features of it. And, uh, and so it's going to be a really cool interview. Excited to have him on. He's going to come back in the future. But uh, for now, I, I can't wait to uh, for you guys to hear about the history of the, the 401k, uh, 401k. So with without further ado, let's get, to, uh, let's get to the interview. This is the Wealth Standard Podcast, the gold standard in all things financial. Thanks for being here today. I am really excited to uh, have our, our next guest on. His name's uh, Ted Benna. And Ted Benna, is uh, he's known as the father of the 401k. He's one of the first kind of individuals in the in the financial space to to use these uh, these types of vehicles. And it's actually not a vehicle; it's more of a section in the in the tax code. Uh, but Ted uh, is is on on the phone out of uh, Pennsylvania, and we are going to really get into today. Uh, just kind of what the story, what the what the true story is from the guy that actually you know kind of pioneered it. I guess if that's the the best way to explain it. But then also I, we're going to get into just what's going on today, uh, our financial system, the the pension system, the retirement system in general, uh, and some of the things that you know Ted is seeing, and hopefully that will help you guys uh, just know how to to really look at the the economy, uh, society through a different lens. Uh, and hopefully Ted's lens will just you know maybe open some things up for you that may uh, be opportunistic. So we'll uh, we'll see. But uh, but Ted, thank you so much for for joining us today. It's an honor to have you on. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. I'm uh, appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Cool. So Ted, I think a good place to start would. Uh, would be just maybe get into how it all started. You know, we don't have to go into you know the tremendous amount of detail, but just you know, what are, how did the whole 401k uh, start? Uh, what is it? And then how are you involved? Okay, uh, Patrick, it was first of all passed into law in the fall of 1978. And 
it had a delayed effective date of January of 1980. And probably the key thing to mention here is that it was intended for a very different reason than what we know today. And, you know, I'm not going to go through that history. It's on my uh, company website if, you know, somebody wants more detail around that. But, you know, it's a fluke politically. I mean, that's the astounding thing is that this is the primary way for people to save for retirement today. And, uh, you know, it was never intended. It was ne- never in planned. And how, how I got involved in it and, you know, there's there's myth and there's reality, uh, Patrick. The uh, myth is I was reading the IRS code with my dark eye shades on and discovered this paragraph no one ever saw before. And that's actually appeared in print, but it's not uh, as a result of my telling anyone that, you know, it's called creative journalism. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> the, the reality is that I interpreted this section in a very different way than what was intended. And what what I added to it was the idea of an employer providing a matching contribution to employees and then also employees being able to be participating in the program by making pre-tax contributions into in, into it themselves. So so what I actually designed is the first 401k savings plan, you know, one with a matching employer contribution and one with employee pre-tax, uh, you know, contributions. And, uh, you know, there clearly wasn't anything in the, in the legislation saying that you could do that, but, you know, there wasn't anything saying thou shalt not. So, you, you know, I saw a possibility. Okay. <laughs> now, was it, now I, I remember, cause I'll, and we'll link, we'll link to the story cause I know it's on your, on your website. But wasn't the first company, I think it was a bank, it may have been a bank, but wasn't the, didn't the first company like not go through with it? Yeah, yeah, you're right, Patrick. I mean, you, you know, I'm often asked, well, you know, what were you doing? I mean, were you tending to, you know, turn the, the retirement business upside down or whatever? I said, hey, look, I was a benefit consultant. You know, I helped companies, you know, employers set up and run retirement programs. And, you know, when I got into doing creative stuff was when I, you know, I had an assignment that a client wanted to do something and, you know, my, I was being paid to find a solution. Uh, and in this instance, without getting into the details, uh, you know, the bank wanted to restructure their retirement program. And, you know, I came up with this as a design for them that would enable them to accomplish what they were trying to do. But they, uh, they didn't go ahead with it at the time because their attorney didn't want to, uh, pioneer something that was, uh, you know, new and untested. So we, we actually did a plan for them probably two, three years later. So, you know, the first, actual 401k savings plan we put in place for our, our, our own little consulting company which you know had probably about 60 employees at the time uh, you know effective january of uh, january 1 1981 interesting interesting well well obviously it's become this you know it's the it's the go-to vehicle that you know everybody seems to to have okay so i mean what, what maybe what was going on during that time that uh, that really transitioned or morphed into the this the four hundred one k being the you know retirement vehicle of uh, of, of choice because I because I think you know what the what most people say is that well you know companies didn't want to do pensions and so a better alternative that kind of you know put them they, they weren't as much on the hook or liable. Uh, was this idea of a four hundred one k? So what is that? Is that is that true, or is that just kind of a misconception that's out there? 
Patrick, the the general uh, thesis there is correct uh, in many aspects, but you know the the reason for the death of traditional pensions that pay a guaranteed income for life uh, actually go back to you know the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, you know, known as ERISA, ERISA yeah. which was passed in in 1974, and. When that was enacted, you know, prior to that, I used to sell defined benefit pension plans for a living. You know, I got employers to set them up and paid to do that. It became impossible after ERISA was passed. And the reason was that once, you know, ERISA was enacted, companies could no longer walk away if they had under, underfunded plans and get off scot-free. They... Um, you know, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, which was established through ERISA to provide a financial safety net, gave that entity uh, the opportunity to claim up to 20% of corporate assets. And, you know, I had, one, I had one of the first plans actually went through PBGC, and I won't get into the details, but, you know, one, once the word began to spread around the country that, shoot, if you had a pension plan, you're putting your corporate assets at risk, you know, the word spread. I mean, accountants told, you know, their clients, hey, look, if you don't have a pension plan, you know, you don't want to get near one of these things. <laughs> so, interestingly, you know, the legislation that was enacted to help secure these plans is one of the key reasons for their demise. And, you know, we'll come back to this, but another piece of it were the maximum benefit limits that, you know, you, you, you know, uh, have been, you know, were put in place with ERISA that put a cap on the benefits of the higher paid. And that cap is what is, uh, you know, a big reason why we now have this huge disparity between higher, you know, the big guys, you know, the, the top companies and rank and file employees in terms of compensation yep. because the big payoffs for the senior execs no longer were tied to the same program is the rank and file employees. So we began to get the payoffs of, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100 million to these guys being delivered through what are known as non-qualified top hat benefit programs and stock options. And it actually, as crazy as this is, became, you know, and still is to the financial incentive of senior execs at big companies to get, personally get rid of these pension plans to help drive up the stock value and get big payoffs in doing that. Yep. So, you know, so here's, you know, th th this is a good point to talk a bit about why we need to be a, a bit concerned when the legislation is in play, changing tax code and behavior, because, you know, here's a classic example where one piece of legislation that was designed to save the private pension system has had the opposite long-term impact and and another one you know which added this little page and a half to the irs code 1978 which was never intended to be a big deal has become this humongous 401k so shoot you never know what's going to happen when these guys start mucking around well, it's, well, it's the, the whole, tax code. Well, i mean yeah what's well, the law of unintended consequences so yeah when you when you basically kind of force the hand of, of government on, on companies that uh, you know maybe are are not able to meet the obligations of their their pension and now they're obligated legally uh, and they have to bankrupt uh, in order to you know restructure 
right? That type of that that is going to make companies try to find a way around it. That's what's interesting. It's like whenever they make you know they they try to put restrictions on people to um, either. Uh, force them to do this or force them to or influence them to do this or influence them to do that uh, they just people find a way around it and there's a lot of sections of the tax code that's you know to uh, to mitigate you know maybe a, a what was not intended as the uh, original purpose of one law but a person found a way around it and then they're trying to make a law to mitigate that so it's 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 interesting just to see how yeah with, with ERISA they you know companies were now on the hook and then they're trying to find ways in which they can, you know, give money, whether it's retirement or, or so forth, uh, to their employees, but in a way in which they don't have uh, liability. And so you're saying that yeah. based on that, that's why the 401k became this kind of go-to vehicle because it allowed them to, you know, offer benefits uh, to their employees uh, without the the risk associated with, um, you know, with with ERISA and, and pension plans. Correct. Yeah, exactly. But also, Patrick, just to talk about this and put some numbers to it, however, and put it in perspective, because you know, usually this doesn't happen. You know, there were never more than 30% of the private workforce that had traditional pensions as we know it. It was far from universal. And if you work for a Fortune 500 company, you work for a hospital or a university, uh, you know, financial organization, you know, bank, etc., you, you are likely to be covered by a pension plan. But if you work that, you know, for someone else, you were, it was very unlikely you were going to have a pension plan. So putting this in perspective, when we say, well, all these pension plans are dying off, that's really primarily a limited number of employers, you know, Fortune 500 and maybe take another, you know, few thousand, you know, of the larger companies and financial organizations. Most of the entities that have 401ks never had pension plans and never would have. You know, they're somewhere between 550 and, you know, 600, 650,000 401k plans in existence. And over 90% of them cover less than 100 employees. Huh. You know, small companies, small employers, you know, that, I mean, didn't, didn't have pensions and never would have. And there's one other point here. While, while I haven't mind, Patrick, uh, ramble on here too long, but, you, you know, there's a perception that pension, divine benefit plans are wonderful. And they are if you spend 20 or 30 years working for the same employer. But if you go from employer to employer, the, the value of a traditional pension is back-end loaded. It builds primarily from ages 50 to 65. Mm -hmm. So... You know, when, if you move, you know, 22 years old, you change employers three, four times before you hit age 50, you, you build up very puny, small benefits if you're covered under a pension plan during that period. So, so that's a fact that's, you know, kind of got to be, uh, realistically look at in, in, you know, our new employees today. How, how many of new workers coming to the workforce are going to have, be fortunate enough to spend you know, 30 years working in one place, probably not very many. No, not at all. And, I, and I'd also, I'd also say that it's, it's an interesting statistic that 30, you know, 30% of the workforce uh, at that time had a defined benefit or a, or a, a pension plan. Uh, but today there's such a, uh, if, if a company has a 401k, uh, I think it's like, it, it doesn't, it's like 70 or 80% or some high percentage of the employees um, have to be, you know, have to be under that plan, correct, or offer that plan. 
Uh, the, well, the eligibility rules, it really don't tie any any specific percentage. I mean, you know, generally in most companies, Patrick, if, you know, you've been there anywhere from, you know, a, a, a month to a year, you're, you're going to be eligible for the plan if you work more than 20 hours a week. So, so they're universally available. Uh, I think what you're hitting at is the fact that maybe only, you know, on average 70, 75% actually participate given the opportunity. So, you know, that's one, one of, one of the weaknesses certainly that's cited is the fact that, you know, there are 25% or so who don't participate if given the opportunity. And, you know, so that, uh, that's a problem. And, you know, there, there have been movements and, uh, to correcting that and, uh, by doing what's called automatic enrollment that, you, you reverse the way it works and you know, rather than you're deciding you want to be in the 401k, you're automatically put in it and you have to elect out of it. Well, that's one of the things that helps to drive up participation rate. Yeah, that was, but, that was, the, know, that that was like, the Pension Protection Act that did that, did that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Right, right. And I'd, I'd like to see that expanded actually, Patrick, to you know, require companies if they offer a 401k require them that they have to automatically enroll in the employees mm-hmm. you know right now it's an option they're not required and you know the other big plus was part of that is you know annually ratcheting up the contribution level so employee might be enrolled automatically at three percent of pay and then bumped up one percent a year you know up to six percent or so so that it improves the potential that an employee will have a successful outcome now i i get people who when I make that kind of comment, come back and say, you, you, you know, what in the world are you? You know, you big government guy. You know? And I say, hey, look, participants have the option to pull the plug on that. It's not a matter that they're forced to do it. It just, you know, they have to reverse and elect not to participate rather than the other way. It's that simple. It's not something they're locked in. You know, if they don't want to do it, well, they have the option to, you know, to pull out of it. Got it. So today, so today if you look at, I mean, and, and this is, I mean, if you fast forward to the environment, the environment today, I mean, we have a lot of people that are, you know, putting money into these these plans. There's trillions of dollars in, in assets in, in 401ks, uh, and but a lot and a lot of it's tied to uh, securities, tied to to mutual funds, uh, tied to uh, tar- these you know new target target date funds. Okay, so what's what's your maybe your perspective on the 401k system you see today? Uh, and if it's going to accomplish the objective that most people think it's going to accomplish, man, that's such a huge question. That <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to decide. Well, what piece of it do I want to bite off, Patrick? <laughs> the uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. The, let, let me just kind of bore it down to some key key points here. The investment part of it's become much more complicated than it should be you know participants are confused they're given too many choices you know that you know that can be simplified there's ways ways of getting around that and making it a whole lot better you know the cost of investment uh, is much too high in many of these plans particularly in the smaller market and you know that needs to be dealt with and you know we don't have time to get into how that might uh, take place but you know, the biggest question you're saying, you're raising here is, is it going to meet people's expectations? You know, are they going to be able to march off into retirement 
with a uh, comfortable uh, retirement income. And, you know, the reality is many are not, you, you know, this, this is hard work. It, uh, it's something you need to get your head in the game early on in your working career, know how much you need to be saving and, you know, doing that regularly and, you know, investing it and, uh, you know, not panicking, uh, you know, during your working years as you're building your amount for retirement, you know, you're, uh, when, you, when you have the ups and downs, you got to live through them. And, uh, you know, then when you're reaching retirement, uh, you know, you need to, you need to get out, make some really smart decisions at that stage of your life. So it takes a lot of effort. So looking at, you know, what you're, what else you're seeing to, today, I mean, there's, I don't know, just the whole re- retirement idea, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's interesting to see how society has, has changed and the whole perspective of, of retirement, because, you know, back when I, I would say risk was, was created, I mean, most individuals, you know, they, they looked at retirement differently because it was a, uh, they had a career, they, they were at a company for, you know, 30, 35 or, or longer years. Uh, and then their, their retirement wasn't up to, you know, uh, 90 years old or 95. I mean, it, it, they may be 10 years in, in, re, in retirement. So the, the retirement, you know, period was a lot, was a lot shorter. Uh, at least that's what, you know, my understanding is. And so, so looking yeah, at yeah. where we're at today, I mean, it, it, the, the belief about where, we, where, where you should be at retirement age, and then also, um, you know, how much money you need specifically, it, it, it's, it's, it really hasn't changed that much, or, or has it? No, you're, you're right on, Patrick. It's changed dramatically because when, you know, when we go back to when Social Security began and, you know, we started to see pensions emerge, you were dealing largely with male workforce, you know, many who worked in hard labor environment and, you know, if they retired at age 65, typically lived for 10 to 12 years, and that was it. And, uh, you, you know, we've now gotten to a point where retirement uh, being a 20, 30-year event is uh, certainly, you know, very realistic. And if you take 10 versus 30 years uh, and you use a modest 3% inflation rate during those 30 years, you, you need five times as much money to survive during your retirement as you do with 10 years. And, you know, the reason it's five rather than three times is because of the impact of inflation. inflation and yep. you know, forget, forget the source, you know, whether it's Social Security, part company, part your own. The reality is you need five times as much money. And, and that gets to fundamental issue here that I strongly believe in. And that is, you know, I don't, I don't think our creator created us to sit around for 20, 30 years doing nothing. So, you know, I think many people need to think maybe about other streams of income, maybe, you know, some of that even being through some form of employment, uh, you know, longer than uh, you know, what has been anticipated. No, and that's what's, and that's the intriguing part about, you know, what's coming down, coming down the line is I, I don't even think that's going to be an, uh, um, like an option. I think that's going to be almost mandatory for, for most, and they're not expecting that. And and that's what I think would be will be hard. But you have you do, and I don't want to go up on a on a, uh, a a rabbit trail here. But there's this kind of new idea of, of a boomer reinvention, where it's basically saying the exact same thing we are, and but it's saying it's a you know those that maybe still have five ten years left before they think you know they're at that retirement age. 
uh, or what they've always considered as their retirement age. And at that point, it's preparing to you know either uh, be a consultant or take the skills that they've built over the years and uh, do something on a, a contract basis or work part time or, or something like that. Because again, it's just to, to save the amount of money that's going to be required uh, for pretty much the same period of time that you've worked it is just it's unrealistic mathematically. And most, but but that, and that's what my point was is the the idea behind you know sixty or sixty five years old really hasn't changed in you know in, in thirty years or more. But the the other characteristics associated with the reality and the probability of that have all changed. So it's interesting just to see kind of where where we're at there. But I mean that might be a good time to transition to really some other kind of core, core issues that are at hand. Uh, because you are, you know, an, an expert. That's what has been your field in, in retirement income uh, and defined benefit plans, pension plans. I mean, right now, the the, the things that I that I see, and I'd love to get your your take on and your perspective on, is you know what is going on with the pension system today. Because you do have, you know, the pension guarantee, uh, you know, the the pension guarantee guarantee corp, and and that is, you know, essentially more of like a, an FDIC to an extent to pensions. But right now the pension problem is so big, whether it's you know CalPERS and their underfunded amount, uh, or New Jersey and other parts of these coasts, and then you've also had a lot of you know changes with existing municipalities like Detroit, for instance, going going bankrupt, and then other issues in California and some of those municipalities. I mean, what are you seeing from like the the the, the pension side of things with how they're set up, uh, the 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 underfunded amount that they're almost all all facing uh, and then we can maybe segue into social security which is a very similar dynamic yeah you, i commented a little bit earlier on it and the fundamental problem here patrick is that people have a very false sense of security under these pension systems including social security that you know it's locked in and guaranteed and you know they can count on it uh, and in some states i know you know pennsylvania here i read that you know, the, um, they feel that way because these benefits are constitutionally guaranteed. And so they say, hey, well, you can't reduce it or take it away. It's, uh, you know, constitutionally locked in. But the hard reality is of these, these programs are all fu- underfunded, severely underfunded, Patrick. And you mentioned the PBGC, which, you know, deals with the private sector and just Taking that one for a moment for, you know, your listeners who are, you know, covering under a, a private pension, my, uh, you know, my advice normally is that if you're retirement age and you have the opportunity to take a lump sum rather than locking into, you know, an, an annuity, you know, through your employer and that system, I would uh, seriously consider taking the lump sum. And if you, you know, you want to lock into it, in the newitized uh, income stream, do do it outside in the practice, you know, in the private sector through, you know, strong insurance companies who are in that business and have been for hundreds of years. And the reason I make that recommendation uh, to consider that, even if the monthly amount may be a little lower, is that when when you stay in the private pension system with PBGC backing, you are participating in a national pool that has more liabilities than assets and you know there's an expectation at some point that that's going to hit the skids but there will be a bailout and 
you know, I don't think there will be a bailout. I think benefits ultimately in that system are going to have to be cut back to the level of assets that are available. Now, on the private sector, you know, if you annuitize with an insurance company, as you well know, you have the assets of that entity, you know, and if you're sticking with companies that have been around, you know, for a couple hundred years or whatever, they're financially solid. But in addition, you have the state insurance funds behind it. And those funds have actual assets rather than liabilities, as you know, Patrick. <laughs> no, yeah, that, they have actual that, assets there. Yeah. No, and that's and that's where, yeah, I mean, the, you always go to the, the solution and, you know, the government trying to, you know, replicate the, or even, you know, even a, uh, even a, a company to an extent, rep- replicate kind of the private, you know, the, uh, the private side of creating solutions like an insurance company. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's never going to do as as well, and that's really I would say with Social Security. I mean, it was I, I, it may have been a you know a, a good idea in the beginning to an extent based on the problems that it was solving because it was more for you know widow, widows and orphans type of type of uh, uh, protection. But now that's morphed also into something very similar where you know it does have a lot of obligations that it's uh, promised. Uh, backed by you know the, the the government, but yet it faces the same thing as you know public pensions and and private pensions, where the under the underlying assets are are simply not there. And the idea is that you know people feel the same thing as they do with the pension, probably even stronger. Where it's well, I've paid into Social Security for thirty years. You know, I they should be paying me for the, my 30 years, you know? So what do you, I mean, as you, as we kind of like kind of touch on all of these different issues, which really have some, some of the same fundamental flaws, I mean, what, what's your take and, and opinion about social security? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story, uh, Patrick, it's relevant uh, to, uh, and, and timely. And that is you know, back in uh, president Clinton's uh, time, he established the 28, the member commission to study social security and consisted of private public sector you know leading members of both parties and they came together had very divergent views and at the end of it they unanimously agreed to support a set of changes that would increase have some tax increases and cut benefits i mean you know that's where you go okay I was at a board meeting in Washington with uh, two of the members of that commission, Senator uh, John Burrow and David Walker, who I know you're, you're familiar with and, you know, highly respected individual. And uh, so Senator Burrow, you know, both of the, them were on that commission. And so Senator Burrow did a presentation to our group, and he started off by saying, you know, you all, we got a problem here. You know, in around 2030, we're going to run out of money. And... Uh, I thought, well, that that's encouraging. At least we're getting, you know, a Democratic uh, leader here saying, you know, ultimately we have some problem here. And that's always a debate, you know, whether there is or isn't a problem. So during the Q&A time, I uh, couldn't resist. I, uh, you know, I asked him, I said, well, I'm not an economist or an actuary. Maybe that's my deficiency here. But are we going to have a problem around 2014 when the cash flow for the retirement part of the system goes negative? you know, meaning the benefits being paid out exceed revenues being collected. Yep. And he didn't know how to answer the question. He hemmed and hawed around for a while and finally he answered and said, folks, we're going to protect this if we have to print money. Oh, 
And, and, I, and I went home, and as I tell people, I said, well, I can sleep better now knowing that, you know, they got this thing covered. And, you know, that was years ago. And, you know, unfortunately, the recommendations they made never got, you know, they never went anywhere because Clinton got into his mess then, and, you know, that just killed, you know, anything happening. And so the problem is, you know, there, there is a fundamental problem here, and, you know, the longer it goes without being addressed, the more draconian the changes will be when they come. And, you know, they will come. Now, I have a recommendation I've been throwing out right now is just a, you know, a minor uh, piece of dealing with Social Security. And the first one is to stop bringing new workers into the system and to take, you know, new workers coming into the workforce and actually have their contributions and their employer's contributions to the retirement part of it go into the federal thrift and savings plan, which you probably are familiar with, yep. you know, is a, a pretty uh, strong program that has real assets, you know, is well managed and, um, you know, with low expenses and give these new workers coming in at least the knowledge that they've got a real account with real money rather than this phantom thing that they have little or no confidence in. And then the other thing would be to take the, uh, you know, the Clinton, uh, that team's recommendations, dust them off and get, a, get them on the table and seriously pursue doing something with them. Yeah, because something has to be done. I, and, and this is this is my, you know, for my study and understanding, I want to I want to make sure that I'm I'm on par here. Uh, but with Social Security, there's no assets in Social Security either. Technically speaking, they're more of just obligation like they're just uh, uh, government securities that are just obligations of the government to pay out. Correct. There's no there's not really any cash there. Patrick, the way I describe it is if you are allowed to borrow 100% of your 401k account, you know, personally, mm -hmm. and when you retired, you, you had borrowed 100% of it and loaned it to yourself, how much retirement income would it provide you? <laughs> oh. And that's what's happened here. You know, the, the, the government has borrowed the supposedly you know, assets out of the, from the Social Security Trust Fund and spent them. Oh, I mean, man. so that, that's real. Now, you know, the, um, the, the worst part, actually, of the Social Security program, and one that's, you know, got to come to a head this year, is the disability program. Yep. And you may be, you know, in tune with this, that it is such a disaster and boondoggle. You know, they have, that program doesn't have any money. They I mean, have no money. Broke. And... It'll be, you know, interesting test politically here that there are two choices uh, on the table. Probably they're going to be considered. One is to reduce the benefits to social, you know, disability recipients to the level that their current tax revenues to fund it, or to raid the supposed retirement part of it and start to use monies from there to pay you know, to support the existing disability system. And it's going to be very interesting politically, you know, to see how that plays out this year. Well, and that I think that also, whatever does happen from that will give us kind of a, a sign of the bigger issue at, at hand, with this, which is just, you know, Social Security. And I guess you can even lump Medicare in, into it because that has just as many issues as, uh, as, as Social Security. But I mean, these are, you know, in a sense, these are these are debts. These are obligations that are kept off of the, you know, the, the balance sheet of the uh, of the United States. And that's also somewhat uh, misleading, I, I would say, because right now, you know, it's the touted, 
you know, twenty trillion dollars of uh, you know of of debt that we that we have. A lot of that is you know, well, some of it is budget budget deficit. Uh, but then adding on to that is, I think David Walker was one of the first really um, uh, just I don't know if a flag bearer saying that we have major issues we need to we need to change, and if if not, there's you know there's going to be heck to pay, and and he said that before you know 2008 2009, <laughs> so it was right. You know, so that's where it's you know the, a lot of these issues are going to come home to to roost, um, but maybe as we kind of like wrap up you know wrap up our our thoughts. Like, what are you? I mean, what are some things that you're you're paying attention to? What are what's what's maybe keeping you uh, keeping you up at at night? Because I know that you you know are at uh, you know really have have concluded your career to an extent, but you're still out doing interviews and writing and trying to get messages out there. I mean, what what message are you you know sending based on what you are seeing out there that's of, of concern to you? Uh, well, uh, Pat, Patrick, I I like to focus on things that have some potential of being useful, okay? Uh, you know, there are ideas out there, and I won't throw names to them, but, you know, people have some ideas relative to, you know, restructuring the whole system and so forth that probably have little potential politically of going anywhere. So, you know, right right now there are, uh, you know, the three things that I'm focusing my energies on. One of them is continuing to you know, help to put the spotlight on the, uh, you know, the fees that are being paid by investors that, uh, you know, including IRAs and 457s and 403Bs that are much higher than what they should be. You know, that's one area. The next one is uh, actually, we didn't talk about it. Uh, you know, we talked about the fact that one of the uh, gaps is that only about 75% of people who have access to 401k contribute. But you know, there's roughly almost 50% of the workforce that have no opportunity to save through any employer-related retirement program. And, you know, I'm working on some ideas for something uh, very simple and easy, uh, you know, for employers that uh, haven't gone the uh, typical 401k route. And uh, and the last thing is totally different altogether, and that's uh, – uh, you know, helping to uh, actually raise funds for Compassion International, which is, uh, you know, an organization that, you know, if you're not familiar with it at all, that does some really, really great things that, you know, uh, getting uh, support, you know, in the individuals to support to a, a young child in some part of the world that uh, might otherwise, uh, you know, not survive to adulthood and, uh, and, and also doing things like uh, investing in communities by, providing clean water and maybe, you know, buying a sewing machine for a young lady who's caught in sex trafficking or a single mom or, you know, buying a goat or chickens or whatever, you know, to help families get self-supporting. And Are you, and are you referring to more like the micro, so, like micro lending? Is that what you're referring to? That, that could be part of it. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Actually, you know, do, doing meaningful things to, you know, other than just necessarily handout programs, but, you know, making a major difference and, you know, individualizing. You know, the whole kind of whole idea came to mind with me is I'm, I'm offered, often asked, did you ever think of getting a patent or a copyright? And I said, yeah, we tried that, but, you know, we're told that uh, we couldn't do that. So, so my pitch here is that, hey, look, if you've benefited from 401k as a participant or, you know, as someone who uh, makes a living, perhaps, in uh, that side of the business, 
you know, hey, uh, as a thank you, uh, sponsor a child, you know, or make a uh, you know one-time gift to do something for uh, Compassion International. Would have do that as a thank you. Okay, yeah, we'll put we'll we'll make sure we put that link on the uh, as well as your website on on the uh, on the show notes, but. Yeah, we probably just scratched the surface, Ted, because I know there's there's a lot you know, there's a lot you're seeing. Uh, you you have a tremendous history, and you've been able to see kind of this, you know, what's occurred in our society regarding finance and and retirement. Uh, and I think we hit on some really good really good points, which is obviously, you know, th- there's some things that uh, that weren't intended to happen that ended up being a very significant part of uh, of, of our culture. In this case, the the four hundred one k. Uh, but then also it's just this this idea behind uh, retirement. And I think that, you know, I, I believe that it isn't. It's kind of like anti-life just to stop, you know, to stop producing, right, to stop contributing. I think everyone will always have something to contribute throughout their entire life. And so I think just the notion of retirement is uh, is it's 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 going to lead to probably a, a less fulfilling life, even though people think it's going to be more fulfilling. So I would say also, yeah. you know, it's it's the the idea behind you know, the, the underlying the underlying issue behind just whether it's retirement uh, or financial planning or or saving it, it, it rarely is the vehicle right the vehicle is just a tool whether it's a 401k or whether it's an IRA whether it's insurance or an annuity a lot of which we've mentioned here um, and, and in the end I think it's you hit on it but very briefly, just people need to really understand what they're doing. They need to become educated. They, they don't, I would say, putting trust in a system that has not performed, it's, a, it's one of the definitions of insanity, right? It's not like it's, it's just going to change overnight. I think people taking responsibility for uh, how they're making money, uh, taking responsibility for where they're putting the money uh, is paramount. And I think if really there was some more accountability there, people really understood uh, you know what they were doing. We'd be in a different a different situation, uh, and then yeah, I, I'd I'd say that you know looking at the the fundamental issues, there's there's a lot, and uh, it just the how it's going to you know what what's going to solve your problems versus what's going to solve the system's problems. I mean, it's it's um, I don't think we can really predict what's going to solve the, the system's problems, but you can in, and you can influence yeah. it anyway. But what you can influence, what you can control, is is your life. Uh, and and what you do, and that's just through taking taking ownership and being uh, being accountable. But uh, do you have any? Maybe as we conclude, we'll definitely have you back on if you're if you're willing. Because I know yeah, there's hey, a lot hey, of things. Can, can you you trigger you trigger a couple quick thoughts, Patrick. Okay. Now, if I can add them, absolutely. You know, every system, no matter what it might be, is humanly designed as imperfect. So, you know, if we kill off all the existing systems and do something new. You know they'll they'll have their own set of problems. I mean that's you know reality, and, and all these systems when we talk about retirement and, and income for retirement re- require money to be invested. And you know the pain here, let's say in four hundred one k or whatever, isn't the underlying structure. It's what happens on the investment side. And no matter what the system is, you got to put the money somewhere. You know and go through that pain that's point number one the second one is uh you know i was on a flight recently to california and i was sitting next to a lady that she says are you retired and i got this silly grin on my face and she wondered well you know what's going on here and, and so i had to say i look i uh, you know i'm 75 years old i've spent a career helping employers set up and run their 
retirement programs and I'm kind of sitting here with a grin on my face because I can't quite picture being retired yet (laughs) 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 where I'm not actively engaged in something productive, you know, I'm not ready for that yet. So, so I'll end with that. Okay. Well that's, yeah. And I, and I, obviously I'm not, I'm not there yet, but as I, as I look at just there, there's still leaders out there. I mean, I was, I was on an, an, uh, an investment summit this past week um, and one of the one of the speakers was um, was Robert Kiyosaki and also um, Ed uh, Edward Ed Griffin. I'm not sure if you know who, who he is, um, but you know Kiyosaki is very well known. But he's, he he turned 70 last week and he's going just as strong as he was before. And Ed Griffin, who wrote you know that that treatise on the Federal Reserve, the creature from Jekyll Island, uh, you know he's he's in his mid 80s, but they're still going because they believe passionately in something and they found something that. That fulfills them, and they don't necessarily consider it a, a job. I mean, it's more of it's what their life. That's what their life is. And I think if people really, I don't know. At least for me, it's if you're doing something that you don't like and you want to retire from something that you don't like, retirement isn't the solution. It's it's finding something that you like to that you like to do. And you can tell, you know, with your history and and what you do, and continuing to participate in media and writing. That you you know you do find some fulfillment in that. I just think that's that's natural. Uh, so for those who are retiring, it's one of those just it's one of those things where you know life is you know, there's a principle of life where continuing to contribute um, is is the only way to live. It's the only way to be fulfilled and and achieve. And if you don't have that, uh, then it, it suddenly becomes less meaningful. Great, Patrick. Hey, enjoyed it. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast, the gold standard in all things financial. 